Amen. And aren't you glad the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ loved us enough to die for us? And I'm thankful for that song. That's the first time I've heard that song. That's a beautiful song. And the people are looking for love and, and people are looking for acceptance. But I'm glad we've been loved by the Lord and accepted in the beloved. Now, we've been in the book of Acts, but we ain't going there this morning. Mark chapter number 14. And if you want to stick your finger in John chapter 12, we'll be there in just a second. Mark chapter number 14 and, and John chapter number 12. And we're going to talk about something that I believe God has burdened my heart for. Um, and I can tell you lots of things in my mind and um, why I'm going to preach what I'm going to preach. And we did just come back from a conference. And man, it was, it was interesting. I mean, they some of the greatest preachers in America preaching. They some singing, and by the way, they some shouting and praising the Lord. And I mean, and you think, man, and then here, look at me. I'm going to help you. And, and your first thought sometimes is, well, I don't quite do it that way. Now, let's just be blunt. Let's just be real honest. But my fear is that we don't worship anyway. Now, I talked to a good friend of mine, and, and uh, I'm just going to give a way of introduction. We're going to read this story, and I'm going to preach. But I talked to a good friend of mine at this conference this week, and he's kind of like me. He said, he said I, I'm more of a crier than I am a shouter, and I am now. You know, when it gets on good, I'm going to cry. Now, I know what some of you are saying, I don't cry. Well, I don't believe you because I've seen you watch where the red fern grows and old yeller. <laughs> and some of you say, I don't shout. I've stood between 100,000 people and when that wheel boy kicked that field goal, we beat Florida. Now, we was jumping and happy. Now, you say, well, I ain't at a ball game. My point is this, what we care about, we do show emotion for. I'm going to preach for a little while on this subject, passionless religion. And I'm going to ask you a question. Are you religious with no passion? Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if God will help me, it's going to be a little rough when we get to point number three. You say, why is it going to be a little rough? Because sometimes the preacher has to preach to himself. You say, ain't nobody going to show up and preach to the preacher. So I'm going to preach to myself. So I'm going to preach to myself. And I'm going to let you listen. And some of you are going to say, I don't like it. And I'm going to say one of two things. You can ask God to help your heart get right. Or there's a church on every corner. But I'm afraid if we're not careful, we go through the motions. I asked you a minute ago, before I even got to this point, why'd you come today? Now, I understand not every day is a red letter day, but every day is a day we should hear from God and worship God. Now, this story is the story of the alabaster box. I'm going to read primarily from Mark chapter number 14. And you can hold your place in John chapter 12 because we'll get there in a minute. But as far as this goes, it's just a few weeks from the triumphal entry. We're just a, a few days from that passion week of Christ. In Mark chapter number 14, it says, And after two days was the feast of the Passover 
of unleavened bread, and the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. And I want to say this to you. Some are going to worship and some want to kill him. We're today set aside a time and here we have our Sunday morning worship service. But there's a whole crowd that want to destroy him. It says in verse number two, but they said not on the feast day lest there be an uproar of the people. And uh, we're watching it today in American culture. They won't rid of him, but they can only take it so far because they know we still have a Christian backbone in our nation. Verse number three says this, and being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, somebody Jesus had healed. And Bethany, by the way, is the town where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were. And if you read John 12, we find out they were there. Mark's gospel record, I believe it's Mark chapter 23 or 24, it tells us the disciples are there. So here they're sitting. Now, don't miss this picture. <laughs> they're sitting in the man's house who used to be a leper. And he's talking with somebody who used to be dead. And he's talking to them and worshiping and thinking about what, they're going, what, what he's doing with his life. And verse 3 happens. And as, as he was sat at meat, as they were eating, he said, there came a woman having, and underline that little word, having, an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some, circle the little word, some, that had indignation within themselves, circle the little word, themselves, and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone while trouble ye her. Notice this. She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me you have not always. Notice verse 8. She hath done what she could. She has come aforetime to the anointing of my body to burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done will be spoken for a memorial to her. And then we have the story about Judas Iscariot selling for 30 pieces of silver. Now look right here. I want you to think about it for just a little bit. What's your alabaster box? What is your prized possession? What is it? Well, can I say this to you? Oh, there's wealth. We'll talk about wealth. There's value. We'll talk about value. But can I say this to you? What the Lord wants is you. Now, I want you to notice a couple things with me. I preached from this passage of Scripture one time before on the subject. She has done what she could. But this morning, I want you to think with me about passionless religion. Now, I want you to notice, number first, her, her expression. Notice what she did. The Bible says this, verse number three, having an alabaster box. Now, the alabaster box, and we can talk about the value of it in just a minute. We'll, we'll talk about her expense, but I want you to understand this, and the reason I want you to circle this little word, having, let me say this to you. She knew what she had at home. And then later, and I believe verse number eight, Jesus said this, she hath done what she could. 
And I want you to put these two thoughts in your mind. You can rationalize. You can excuse whatever you want to. You can say, I don't have time or I don't have much or I don't have this. But in your heart of hearts, you know what you have. And can I say this to you? The master knows what you have. You say, why does he know? Because he gave it to you. The Bible says she had an alabaster box, a, a box of special ointment. Now, please don't miss this. The Bible says that she break the box, look at this, in verse number three, on his head. So she's anointing his body. John chapter number 12, if you read that account, we will in just a moment. The Bible says this, that she took her hair and washed his feet. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 talks about the woman's hair being her glory. Now don't miss this. What she did that way wasn't just spend her money. She did do that. But what she did sitting at the, the leper's house who was no longer a leper and sitting there talking to the dead man who was no longer dead, look at me, she surrendered her glory and gave her glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm afraid what you have is we have dignified saints that want to hold on to their glory and not give it to Jesus. You say, how do you know? I can tell by the way you talk. Well, I work hard. I don't mean to be mean. But there's a lot of men give anything if they could just have a day's worth of work. You say, I'm good with money. Give me a break. I just come off a year anniversary and Brother Mark Hale's here helping us with the sound. And, and you know, he's the one who gave me COVID. I don't know where he went, but there he is. And we talked last night. And uh, I come off an emotional time, a year's anniversary. And I told him, I said, I went from working double shift to, to preaching three times a week to doing daily devotions to I'll lay the floor if you don't want to, to... I can't make it to the bathroom and I don't know if my mind will ever be right again. And what some of you don't understand, what you think you have is a gift from Almighty God. And can I say this to you? He knows what you got. You say he wants all of it. No, he wants all of it. See, some of you got this mindset, and we'll talk about money in just a minute. Some of you got this mindset that you tip the Lord like you tip your waitress, and the rest of it's yours. No, I want to understand something. It's all his. When you lay there, and some of you have been there, some of you have been sicker than I've been sick, but when you lay there in that hospital bed and you know you got no control over your oxygen level, you know you got no control over anything else in life, it helps you realize that every breath we have is a gift from Almighty God, and it is no wonder he said, let everything that hath breath praise you the Lord. And some of you brag on yourself and your ingenuity and your ability and your mindset. And Jesus is saying, what about my glory? She took her valuable thing and she took her glory. Look at me and surrendered it to the Lord. I ask you a question. When's the last time you have expressed gratitude to God? When's the last time you said, God, I, I realize I can't get out of the bed without your help. 
The Bible says it's of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. Do you know what that means? That means we're, it's of the Lord's mercies. We're not annihilated off this earth. Psalmist said this way, I'm glad he didn't deal with us after our sins. He consumes us. And we walk around, look at me. And we say, well, look what I've done. I've built a good life for myself. Look at my family. Look, we've done pretty good for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're taking what should be glorifying me and glorifying yourself. Notice her expression was, I've given it all to the Lord. Let me say this to you. Some of you are too proud to weep. Some of you are too proud to praise. Some of you are too proud to pray. Some of you are too proud to give. Some of you are too proud to witness. Some of you are just bluntly too proud. You say, what's the problem with that? The Bible says this, God resisteth the proud. I mean, he literally says, you can stay at arm's length. She says, I don't want an arm's length. Look, I want in in the glory world. I want in as close as you can get. You find her expression wasn't just an expression of the value of the box, but it was an expression of, God, you deserve all glory. I want to ask you to notice the second thing, not only her expression, but notice this, her expense. You know, everybody's willing to do something that doesn't cost anything. But notice this, the Bible says this uh, in verse number three, it says, and she being, she was in the house of the leper and there came a woman, notice this, with an alabaster box, notice this, of ointment, of spikenard, notice this, very precious. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I've read a little bit about this spikenard and ointment. They tell us it was, it was something that would be saved for a special occasion. We know when Jesus was buried that they came with spices and they were going to anoint his body uh, to burial and, and they were preparing to, to do that with the spices. And, and we know that was something that at death and, and we know sometimes in a special celebration to honor someone, they would, uh, they would break that ointment and, and it would be very valuable. Now, let me say this to you. The Bible says it's very valuable. Now, they tell us this, that if you read it, they tell us it was a year's wages. I want you to think about what you make, a working man's wage. Now, let's say that. I, I don't know what it is, $30,000, $40,000 average. Some of you, that's $100,000. Some of you, that's $10,000. I, I don't know, but you imagine your year's salary. You say, look at me, look, look right here. Somebody said, that's my whole life savings. And that was probably hers too. Everything she'd saved for. Everything she'd given. She said, look, and the Bible says this. And she noticed this. She gave it to the Lord. And it was very precious. Can I say this to you? Christ meant more to her than a box of expensive ointment. Christ meant more to her, the most valuable possession. And when she understood what Christ was done, and can I say this to you? If you understand what the Lord Jesus Christ, his brother Junior, had just sung about, about the fact that he loved us with an everlasting love, that he came to redeem our souls from hell. He came to give us a home in heaven. He came to dwell with us. He came to walk with us. Then we understand no expense of our money, no expense of our time is too valuable. Please don't miss this. You are a steward of his life. Bible says that it's required of a steward, the man by faithful. Steward means we're, 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 we're watching what is somebody else's. 
The money you got came from him. The wind you're breathing came from him. The sight you have and you came from him. The ears you have came from him. You go out and you look at the majestic beauty and you think, man, and the way your brain works and, and it transfers information from hearing and sight. You say, man, that's pretty amazing. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to remind you that it all came from him. And I will say this to you. What are you saving for? Some of you saving your time to do something that doesn't matter for eternity. Some of you saving your money for things that just bluntly don't matter. I'm not against family vacations, and I, I'm not against hobbies, and I, I'm not against uh, doing things. The Bible says we have recreation. There's no doubt about that. But some of us have turned what should be an excess and made that the whole life's goal. Some of you are more worried about what you're leaving than what you're giving. And notice the Bible says this. Look at me. Don't miss this. She break the box and poured it on her head, on his head. Now, this hit me this morning. You say, so what I want you to understand is, this, look, there was no way to get it back. There was no way to control it. There was no way to manipulate it. When she broke it, look, it was all gone. There was no, I'm going to give this if you do that, or I'll buy this if you do this, or I'll pay for this if you do this. No, 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 no. She gave it all. She broke it, and when she broke it, it was poured out. There was a song that I, I remember when I was a teenager, a Christian song, and it, it said it was broken and wasted on you. It was poured out, and what Jesus wants is your life. He wants all of it. He doesn't want it measured. He doesn't want you to keep 90% and him get 10%. He doesn't want you to get one hour a week. He doesn't want you to have the rest of the hours a week. No, what Jesus wants is every bit of you. The sooner we understand that, the better we'll understand. You say, well, what about me and mine? No, 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 no. They're, your, they're his. You know, our kids are... We get them for a little while. They're, they're God's gift to us. Children are a heritage of the Lord. And some of you made such a priority out of doing what you do for your kids that you misunderstanding. Our responsibility is to teach them about God's glory, about God's worth, about God's value. You see, she had a spike in her, very precious. She broke it. Now, please don't miss this. The Bible says this, that they said it was wasted. Wasted. And I want to ask you a question. What's the greatest thing you have in your life? Now I'm going to get real personal. The greatest thing we have in our lives are our kids, right? I mean, humanly speaking, our, our life, our health, our money. When I look, We'll do everything we can to make sure they get an education. We'll do everything they can to make sure they get to play the sport they want to play. We'll do everything they can to make sure they get to go fishing or go camping or whatever. I'm asking this question. Are we doing everything we can to make sure they know the Lord and they serve the Lord? I look, I'm, we, my kids play sports. I'm not against sports. We've driven, we've driven many a time late at night on Saturday night to get back here. Make sure we're in the house of God for my kids being in the Lord's house. 
You say, why? Because look, I, I just, I'm just going to be blunt with you. I want my kids to understand that what the Lord is doing is more valuable than everything else. You see this, you see her expression. It took effort, it took energy. But then I want you to notice the third thing. Please don't miss it. Her enemies. Now, wait just a second. Jesus is about to be buried. He's sitting there with the dead man that ain't dead and the leper that ain't a leper and the most spiritual people on earth, the disciples. Or let me rephrase that. The supposed most spiritual people on earth, the disciples. And she comes with a year's, imagine that. Now, just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Let's imagine somebody walked through here and, and, and said, here's $100,000. And I would say, go down and do likewise. <laughs> Let's put it in today's vernacular. Somebody walks in with a $100,000 check. Some of you walk in. I say, let's take that bank, make sure it's good. <laughs> but let's imagine somebody walked in here. And the first thing that somebody's going to say, well, they did that to be seen. Well, you know... I wonder if they've taken care of their family. I bet they ain't even paid for their burial. Now wait just a second. That's what that crowd did. Read, read it with me. Look. Matthew chapter number 14. Look at verse number 4. And, and, and notice this. And there were some. Circle it some. Because they some and ever crowd. <laughs> that they themselves, notice this, had indignation. Notice this. Within themselves. So here's this woman that, uh, that worship, and can I say this to you about old Mary? Worship was a way of her life. You say, what do you mean? Martha was covered about with much serving, but Mary hath done this, the needful thing, the one necessary thing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Lazarus is dead, and, and Jesus is coming, and, and Mary runs and falls at his feet and said, if you'd been here, our brother not died. She's worshiping. She's found her place at the feet of Jesus. So it is no wonder as he's facing the agony of the cross and, and the crucifixion, it is no surprise to find Mary worshiping him. I'm going to wonder, is worship a way of your life? I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. I'm not just talking about uh, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, and it gets good and that we can worship the Lord. I'm talking about driving down the road and, and the car and listening to gospel music. And I'm talking about tears of joy flowing when no one else is around. I'm talking about praising God for health and for strength. I'm talking about worshiping being a way of life. Then when tragedy comes, you can still worship. When the unexpected comes, you can still worship. But I'm afraid, look at me. I'm afraid too many Christians come to church to check a box off instead of bring their box and break it on Jesus. If you came to check your box, you're gonna leave empty. But notice in verse four, look, that indignation within themselves, it stirred them up. It said, and then they said this, why was this waste of ointment made? Look, waste. Now, you know what they're saying? Please don't miss it. They're saying, Jesus, you ain't worth much. Now, somebody may worship a little differently than I worship, but I ain't ever gonna make fun of somebody worshiping the Lord. I ain't ever gonna belittle the way somebody worshiped the Lord. But the Bible says this, look, why was this waste made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. 
You say, who was that some? I said to you, Matthew chapter number 26, the Bible says it was his disciples. Now, we'll find out it's Judas leading the attack. The money changer, the greedy, he's thinking you should have sold that and gave me that money because I'd have stole some of it. And somebody said, well, I'm not Judas, I'm not Judas, I'm not Judas. But because of Judas's mouth, the disciples got carried up in it. Now they left all and followed. Read it when we go home. Matthew chapter 26, I think it's about verse number 23. You read it. And the Bible says the disciples are there. And then, now please don't miss this. This is, I love this. Then they start taking the indignation of their heart and turn it into spiritual excuses. Oh, Alexander McLaren, the great commentator of a generation ago, he said it this way. He said, the disciples chimed in with the objection, not because they were superior to Marian wisdom, because they were inferior in consecration. And look what it said in verse number five. Please don't miss it. He says, for it might, they said it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And then Jesus said down there to the end of it, he said, you don't have me, but the poor you have with you always. In verse number seven, he said, you have the poor with you always and whensoever you will, you can do good unto them. But me you have not always. John chapter number 12, I'll read verse number three. It says, and then Mary took a pound of ointment and spikenard, very costly ointment, and anointed the feet of Jesus, notice this, and wiped his feet with her hair. Notice this, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And I'm gonna ask you a question. What's your house smell like? Some of your house smells like liquor. It don't smell like Jesus. Some of your house smells like bitterness and hatred. It don't smell like Jesus. Some of your house smells like jealousy and pride and hypocrisy. They don't smell like Jesus. And verse number four, and then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, I'm in John 12, by the way, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Sounds logical, right? There's people in need. Is there people in need? There's always people in need. And then notice verse six, Jesus by the inspiration of the Spirit of God and John's gospel record just tells it like it is, said this he said not because he cared for the poor, because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. He knew what was going in and he had control over. And Jesus said, let her alone. And he said, the poor you have always with you, but me you have not always. Now I want you to look right here at me. And I'm just gonna be blunt. I've been in a Baptist church my whole life. I ain't ever known anything else but a Baptist church. As one preacher said this week, he said, I started going to church nine months before I was born. And I've always seen it. Someone does something. Oh, we take a trip like we just took. Oh, it costs thousands of dollars to do what we just did with the young people. And some spiritual giant, let me rephrase this, some Judas Iscariot is going to say, we could have given that to missions. We should have sent that. We'll go down here. We'll remodel something. We'll take a wall out. We'll build a building. We'll do something. We'll buy a sign. By the way, we're about to put a parking lot in. We got about four or five spots every Sunday empty. And we still ain't got a sign. And somebody's going to say, well, we should have done, we should have given that to the widows. 
They'll come in here and say, well, we're going to give the pastor a raise. And somebody said, man, we should have given that to the widows. Somebody say, well, we're, we're going we're to do this and we're going to buy T-shirts for this group. And somebody say, well, we could have done this with it. Now, let me look at me. Write this down beside that. False piety. Write it down. False piety. P-E-I-T-Y. Now, is giving to the widows a good thing? Is giving to the poor commanded in Scripture? Oh, yes, it is. But you want me to tell you what false piety is? False piety is giving away somebody else's money. See, here's what Judas said, and then the disciples got caught up. They, they said, I have found a better way for Mary to spend her Jesus offering. And there's always a crowd that finds a better way for God's money to be spent. But you know what they don't do? They don't go to the widow out of their own pocket. They don't go to the poor out of their own pocket and say, I wish we could do more, but this is what I can do right here. Because Jesus, look, Jesus told them, said, you got the poor. If you want to do something poor, go do it. And I'm afraid, look, when God stirs somebody to do something, they give their life to Jesus. And this week we'll have testimonies tonight and we'll have some, I'm sure, that will weep. Some will rejoice. And I'm going to be blunt with you. Some of you will sit there and criticize in your heart. So I've seen it before. Wonder how long this will last. I bet all they did was play games. And what I want to say to you, the problem is not their gift. The problem is your heart. Say, why do I think like that? Because your heart's as dark as the charred walls of hell. And you're so proud, so full of indignation and their excitement, their passion, their excitement has made you realize how cold and dark you are. You say, man, I don't like that kind of preaching. You should preach like Jesus. I will. Look with me, Mark chapter number, Matthew chapter number 23. We'll preach like Jesus. Her critics criticized what they weren't willing to do. They weren't given to the poor. They didn't give their spikenard. They criticized what they weren't willing to do, and her critics were always were other Christians. You say, what happened? Please don't miss this. Look at me. Her worship made them uncomfortable. I wonder. What they should have done, bluntly, they should have went to their house and started looking for some boxes. You say, I don't like it, this kind of preaching. Look in Matthew chapter number 23, in verse number 23. This is Jesus preaching. We're going to preach like Jesus. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of the men and the anis and the cumin. And have admitted the weightier matters of the law and judgment and mercy and faith. And these ought you have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup of the platter. And wherein you're full of extortion and excess. You say, what do you mean preacher? You dress up, come to church, sing the songs of Zion. But the spirit of God ain't moving you to do anything. Because inside you're dead. 
Verse 26, it says, Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like unto the whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, and within are full of dead men's bones, and, and of all the uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now I want you to look right here at me, and please don't miss this, and this is what I want you to get. You say, man, preacher's mad at somebody. I'm not mad at anybody. You say Jesus was pretty hard. He was always hard on the religious Pharisees. And can I say this to you? Please don't miss it. The Pharisees were the guardians of the law. You know what the law was? The law was God's idea. The Levitical system was God's idea. The tithe that he talked about was God's idea. The, the matters of the law was God's idea. But somewhere... Along the line of keeping up with the law and what you could do and couldn't do on the Sabbath, somewhere the Pharisees lost heart. See, Jesus wasn't just wanting to rip their face off, as we would say. Read the rest of that chapter. He said this, how often I've gathered you together. He said, but you wouldn't. And here's what I want to say to you. What I'm preaching so hard to this morning is this. I don't want you to go through the emotions of religious and miss the fellowship and the communion and the worship with the almighty creator. Passionless religion. You say, I don't shout. You do at ball games. So I don't cry. You do when you watch them Hallmark movies. Don't you look up here at me. Every now and then one's sad. You say, well, I like that still, small voice. I, I'm more of a reserved person, but can I say this to you? That still, small voice you read about, we preached on a few weeks ago, it led to obedience. He said, now go return. Say, wasn't well, in the earthquakes. I understand God's not always in, in, a, in a big way, but God does speak to his people. And my question to you is, have you heard the still small voice? Have you heard God move? Have you seen God? And I ask you this question. When God tells you to do something, to worship him, to, uh, to lift a hand, to, to say amen, to give more than your tithe, to, to do something extraordinary, is the first question, well, what will others think? Look at me like that. What will people think if I do that? What will they really imagine? But the real question should be is, what does God desire? And what does God deserve? Now, I give you this illustration. I think it'll help you understand. I say this to you. It's time God's people. And I'm not, look, please don't misunderstand this. I'm not just preaching about what happens here on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. I'm talking about in the private conversations in a classroom. I'm talking about when you get in a work truck and you're driving down the road and somebody says something, do you give yourself glory or do you give God glory? Someone starts to go a different way and you say, I just want to tell you, I got to brag on the Lord for just a little while. He's been so good to me. I mean, he speaks to me. He, he, by his spirit, sometimes, look, sometimes by his spirit, he says, no, you got to get that out of your life. I'd be real worried if God quit speaking to me. I'd be real worried if I could listen to preaching after preaching after preaching after preaching after preaching and nothing stirred. There was never the spirit of God say, hey, deal with that. No, I'm not saying you got to come to the altar every Sunday. I'm not saying that. 
But some of you look at this offering like a calf looking at a new gate. You're not sure what it's for. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of dedication. Some of you, everybody else seems to be enjoying it. And you say, what are they enjoying? And instead of you getting caught up in the crowd, you should get caught up in the worship. Let me say this to you. Worship is not just an experience, but it is a way of life. You say, I'm not built that way. Well, it's time to, Jesus said, you must be born again. I give you this illustration. The Jews, leaders, the sad part is he wanted them to come to him. And I want to ask you this question. Is the only time you can praise when God answers your prayer? Can you worship a little on somebody else's prayer? Hey, some of you have pastored long enough now. The only time you get real serious about God is when there's a crisis in your family. The only time you're interested in praying is when you got a test at the doctor's office. The only time you want to say praise the Lord is when God answers your family's prayer. And I ask you, you, if you ain't careful, do you fall into that prey of passionless religion? We check in boxes instead of breaking boxes. I said, I did that. Yeah. Look how good I did that. Matter of fact, I'm going to put a picture on Instagram. No, 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 no. Sometimes God wants broken boxes. I'm going to say this to you. I'll give you this challenge and I'm done. I think it's time for God's children to show their true colors. What, what showed here was Mary's true colors and what showed for the disciples were their true colors. Good people. Good people. Jesus chose 12. One of them we know is a traitor. Peter's going to preach and thousands going to be saved. He was a hothead, had trouble keeping his mouth shut and doing right. But Jesus chose them. And good people can get caught not worshiping. That's what happened in this story. I use this illustration showing your colors. My Maddie, everybody knows Maddie, my girls play for, had played Elizabethan for basketball. And if we play, if I'm in the office on Tuesday, I don't necessarily wear an orange and black shirt on Tuesday if they got a ball game or on Friday. But what I do usually before the ball game, if, if time permits, I go home, put on an orange or black or gray shirt because I want everybody to know whose, whose team I am. All right. I sometimes go maybe watch your kid and every now and then I'll put on a, a different color shirt. I seen Shannon one year at that state tournament. He had on them black and the blue and white overalls, that beard painted. They, about black and white, Right. Now, here's my point. They wasn't nobody wonder, is he from Hampton? <laughs> but I'm afraid some of your best friends wonder whose team you're on. They just wonder, well, I know they go to church some, but, I mean, are they really through and through? I mean, is it really real to them? And I just say this to you, church. Not because I'm mad at you. Not because somebody said something. Nobody's even said anything to me but because I don't want you to fall prey of going through the religious commotion without heartfelt worship. And can I say this? Look, yours may look a little different than mine. That's okay. But don't be so consumed with my worship that you forget to worship. Somebody say, well, I don't do it quite that way. Well, then you do it your way. But what I'm challenging you is don't go through life without worshiping God. Then you turn into the Pharisees. Say, we, pay, we paid tithe on that mint, that little piece of flour. We paid a tithe on that. But we don't even understand the purpose of 
the law and the holiness of God and faith and we don't even understand it. And I'm afraid too many Southern Christians go through the motions and check boxes off. And Jesus is saying, look, won't you go break your box? What they should have done, they should have went home and got theirs. And I say this to you, Jesus knows what you got. Some of you need to learn to sing again. Some of you need to learn to weep again. Some of you need to listen to that still small voice and obey again. Don't be content to take the God-given life he's given you and go through the motions. May we, look, may we worship him. May we honor him. Look, may we give him our most valuable possessions. May we give him our children. Look, may we give him our time. Can I say this? And I got to go. I don't know what time it is. Oh, 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 I just looked at my watch. Can I say this to you? This didn't happen by accident. She had to bring her box with her. She planned this. She's thinking, how can I worship the Lord? How can I honor the Lord? How can I do something special for the Lord? Look, it's going to take some extra effort and some planning and some energy. It doesn't just take money. It takes money, but it takes all of that if you're going to worship the Lord. I want you to bow with me in prayer.